Saturday, we're having our uh, fall uh, business people's breakfast. If you're in business and you'd like to network with other business people, or if you'd like to meet some good business people who you might want to do business with, uh, that's why we have this uh, a, a business breakfast. So if, if that captures your interest, uh, you can sign up online. I'll also be doing a short lecture on uh, Discipline is Destiny. So if you'd like to hear that, you could come. Um, and if you'd just like a good breakfast, you could come. The, the, they cook a good breakfast. Um, if you're in a life group and uh, uh, your life group is a part of our uh, uh, all-church emphasis, you'll have to listen to tomorrow's sermon because tomorrow's sermon is on the... Uh, on the uh, all-church emphasis, and tonight is not. I, I, it annoys me that some of you come Sunday morning and Saturday night and have to listen to the same annoying sermon. So I've made up my mind on Saturday night I'm preaching a different sermon than on Sunday morning. Is, is that acceptable with you? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, you are a God who is not insecure. And it doesn't annoy you when we ask you hard questions. I pray that we could learn from Habakkuk that you are a God who is thoroughly capable of meeting us where we don't understand. And I pray that we could learn from Habakkuk how to bring our dilemmas to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to preach the whole book of Habakkuk tonight. I promise you I can do it in a reasonable amount of time. Habakkuk lived about 600 years before Christ. So if we put his date at, uh, if we put his date at 610, we're probably in a good place. In 612 BC, the Assyrian Empire collapsed. For more than 100 years, the Assyrian Empire had dominated uh, the Mediterranean world. Their capital was in Nineveh. And uh, the Assyrian Empire had... Uh, uh, defeated the northern kingdom of Israel in 722. But by 612, the empire had rotted from the inside out. And the Babylonians marched on Nineveh and defeated Nineveh and absorbed Assyria into the Babylonian world. And probably two years after that, and uh, five years before the Babylonians marched on Jerusalem for the first time, Habakkuk wrote these three chapters. Uh, he wrote these three chapters, uh, these three poems, uh, 24 years before the Babylonians completely destroyed Jerusalem. 
And the book is unique because of all the prophets, Habakkuk doesn't speak to the people of Israel. Habakkuk speaks to God. In most of the prophets, the, the prophet is speaking for God to Israel. In Habakkuk, we hear um, a prophet speaking to God for Israel. And he asked God two big questions. And we hear the first question in chapter 1, uh, verse 2. Habakkuk wrote, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice goes, never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. And so justice goes forth perverted. When I read this poem, it sounds to me like the world I live in. When I read this poem, I could be listening to uh, uh, cable news. Everywhere I look, there's violence. Children are shot in schools. You can't walk the streets of any major American city and feel safe. We're threatened by uh, uh, China. Uh, we're, we're threatened by Russia. We're threatened by Iraq. We're threatened by uh, North Korea. Everywhere I look, there are shades of uh, brutality, cruelty, and violence. We're going to vote in just a few days on how many babies we're going to kill in the coming years. It shocks me that there is a lust in the world to get rid of children. Uh, and, and please don't argue with me about uh, uh, a, a rape and incest. The fractional number of babies that died of rape and incest is nothing compared to uh, uh, the, the real motive of uh, this isn't convenient. We have grown numb to violence. And Habakkuk's heart was sensitized to all the violence. And he said, God... What in the world are you doing? He said, nobody trusts the courts. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. Justice is perverted. God was not offended that Isaiah said that, that Habakkuk said to that to him. 
And God answered uh, Habakkuk, and this is what he said. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astonished. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. They come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather like sand. They scoff at kings and laugh at rulers. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up the earth and take it. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Their only God is their own might. Habakkuk said, I look around, God, and we're supposed to be your covenant people. And all I see is violence and injustice. And God says back to Habakkuk, you think what you're seeing is bad? I'm telling you what's coming, you wouldn't believe if somebody told you. The Babylonians are coming. The Chaldeans are coming. And when they come, you will be overwhelmed by the violence. And Habakkuk said, all right, let me get this straight. You're going to use people who are worse than we are to punish us. Habakkuk said, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? O Lord, you have ordained them as a punishment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than himself. Habakkuk said, I see the Chaldeans like a fisherman. He goes out and he drops his net and he takes in all the fish. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. Habakkuk said, the people who worship their own conquests, you're going to use them to discipline Israel when we're not as even as wicked as they are. 
How can that be, God? What can you possibly be thinking? And then Habakkuk gets a little, he gets a little um, aggressive. This is what he says. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me that I and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk said, I'm not letting this go. I'm, this is an issue, and, and I'm expecting some kind of resolution here. I wonder, does your righteous soul ever have a desire to talk to God about the world you live in? Has it ever dawned on you that you might you might be spiritually used by God to speak to him about what is happening in the world around you in the kind of way that God hears your prayer. We had our week of prayer this week. I, I, I sat here in these pews in, in the morning, and, and, and every morning I prayed that God would... that. I said, you taught us that we're supposed to pray for those who have authority over us. And the people who have authority over us right now, they need something from you that they don't have. Church. I said, you are a God of peace and unity. And there is no peace and unity in Washington at all. I said, you are a God who believes in... Uh, uh, the commonwealth, that uh, the good of humanity matters. And I can't see that anyone in Washington cares about the commonwealth nearly as much as their career. Do I sound a little pessimistic tonight? Is it, is, is it possible that Isaiah, is, I mean that Habakkuk is supposed to be an example to us that we should be saying to God, I'm looking at a broken world. I'm looking at a world that doesn't work. I'm, working, I'm looking at a world that is violent beyond understanding. I'm looking at a world where justice seems to be corrupted. And I wonder, dear God, where are you and what are you doing? Ah. Uh, Another prophet said, God looked for someone to stand in the gap, but he couldn't find anyone. I wonder as the eyes of the Lord pass over America today, does he find Christian souls who are standing in the gap? Is there a Habakkuk left in the church who says to God, I believe in your greatness. I believe in your justice. I believe in your sense of right. What are you doing in this world to correct the insanity of humanity? Or are we content because we have full refrigerators, large screen TVs, 
comfortable couches. We have great vacations. And we have, we, we have found, we have replaced diligence with leisure. Church. I believe Habakkuk is supposed to be an example to us. And there's something that's supposed to be in our hearts that is disturbed at the broken world we live in and disturbed enough to start talking to God about it. It's one thing to complain to your friends. It's another thing to get cynical. But it is a Christian thing to say to God, Dear God, what are you doing? What is, what is your agenda? How do you intend to make this right? And God answered Isaiah, uh, Habakkuk a second time. No matter how many times I say Isaiah tonight, I'm talking about Habakkuk. Can we agree? That we, can we agree with that? Uh, I don't know why I got Isaiah on my tongue, but I'm not talking about Isaiah. I'm talking about Habakkuk, no matter what I say. All right. Habakkuk wrote, The Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. For it will surely come. It will not delay. He said, Habakkuk, what I'm telling you is going to happen. If it doesn't happen when you expect it to happen, it's still going to happen. And this is what's going to happen. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But there's a contrast to the arrogant world we live in. And the contrast is, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul picks this phrase up and uses it in Galatians and in Romans. And listen what, listen what the Lord said to Habakkuk. I see the same thing you see, Habakkuk, but I also see something else that you've lost your focus on. The righteous live by faith no matter what's happening in the world. Church, the righteous live by faith when times are good and when times are bad. The, the righteous live by faith when things are going the way we want them to and when things are going the way we don't want them to. The righteous don't make up their mind how to live every day by what they see on cable news networks. The righteous make up their mind on how they're going to live every day by their personal faith in Jesus Christ. And then the Lord says to Habakkuk, I hear your complaint that the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, are worse than the Israelites. So I want you to know 
the Chaldeans are not going to get out of this without their own punishment. And then there are five woes in chapter 2. The first two woes are about economics. The third woe is about slavery. The fourth woe, woe is about indulging ourselves when people around us are in, in trauma. And the last woe is about idolatry. So let's look at them. The first woe. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who uh, will make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnants of the people shall plunder you. Isaiah, Habakkuk said to God, the, the Chaldeans are worse than we are. And he said, and you know what? Their punishment is going to be worse than yours. You see them in their ascendancy. But I see uh, their, uh, how they have economically oppressed people, and I will oppress them for oppressing others. And then the Lord said, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. To set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your life. God said, I see the oppression with which you have oppressed others, and it's going to cost you your life for having done it. I believe economic oppression is an issue with God. Uh, I don't believe that God is passive about economic oppression. Uh, I, I, uh, if I read the prophets at all, the prophets teach us that because God cares about the oppressed, we have to care about the oppressed. Church? The reason we fund the orphanage in Uganda is because God cares about the oppressed. You get that? Those children are under the radar for almost everyone. God bless the people who run that orphanage. I pray for them every day. But if you think God doesn't love those kids because they're orphans in a difficult place in the world, you have misunderstood God does love those kids. He loves those kids just as much as he loves any kid in America. And he cares that they have been oppressed. And when we uh, when we make sacrifices to help care for those kids, we're doing exactly what God asks us to do, to care for the oppressed. Uh, this weekend, uh, 60 more children will eat than ate last weekend because this church said yes to help 60 more kids. Uh, do you have any sense what it's like to be in fourth, fifth, or sixth grade 
and not have anything to eat from the last meal you get on Friday to the next meal you get on Monday. That's these kids' lives. It, it's not their fault that their, mom, their single mom is incompetent. It's not their fault that no one will bother going buying groceries. It's not their fault that no one cares that they go to bed hungry. They are an oppressed child. And God cares for them. He is not blind to their oppression. So when we care for these oppressed kids, we're simply doing what God said he wanted done in the world, church. And really, let's be honest, what does it really cost any of us to help in these projects? I mean, which one of us have gone without a meal because we fed someone else? Which one of us doesn't have a house full of junk because we helped kids in Uganda? Church, can you hear me? The God cares, and, and, and oppression matters to him, and when Habakkuk complained to God, God said, I see the oppression, and I promise you I will act on it. And then the third woe is about slavery. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor, uh, people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? And then he said to Habakkuk, I want you to stop looking at just the wrong and I want you to see that the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord. He said, Habakkuk, You've got fixated on just what is ugly and bad, but I want you to see everything in a different way. The whole earth is full of my glory. Can you see it, church? I know it's often easier for me to see the ugly, but I believe if we look carefully, we can see the glory of the Lord in many, many things. And then the Lord said, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. Uh, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. And when I studied this, it, the idea is that uh, these people are having drinking parties when people are starving to death. These people are having self-indulgent, uh, luxurious parties and two streets away, people are starving to death. And God says, woe to you that you will squander everything you squander for one of your ridiculous drinking parties when you could have saved those who were starving down the street from you. And then the final woe, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image is a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says, 
to a wooden thing, awake, and to a stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, but there is no breath in it at all. In contrast, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In a couple weeks, I'm going to talk to you about the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. So I'll save that for later. So the first two chapters of Habakkuk are Habakkuk saying to God, this is what I see. And God saying to back, back to Habakkuk, I see the very same thing, but I also see something you don't see. I also know something you don't know. He says, I am at work in ways that you haven't recognized. And if you want to get this right, you have to live by faith. When I look at a broken world, I have to say, there is still a God of providence, and he is working in ways that I can't see, and I don't understand him. And I worship him, and I give thanks to him, and I ask him, what can I do to be part of what you're doing in the world? The last chapter is very unlike the two chapters before it. The book of Habakkuk is interesting because uh, they found uh, a, a commentary on Habakkuk in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And when they compared the first two chapters of the Habakkuk they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls to the chapters that we have in the uh, Hebrew text, they're almost exactly the same. Uh, it's interesting that when the Roman Empire was destroying Israel, they were interested in the book of Habakkuk, and, and they were copying it, and people were finding solace in it. Uh, I found it interesting anyway. And now Habakkuk changes his tone. He starts out by saying to God, what are you doing? Aren't, can't you see what I see? Doesn't it bother you what bothers me? And God says to Habakkuk, I see everything you see, but I understand something you don't understand. Now listen what Habakkuk says to God. O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Do you remember at the beginning he said to God, hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. These bad people are getting away with everything. And God says to Habakkuk, no one's getting away with anything, dude. And now Habakkuk says, well, maybe mercy would be a good idea. <laughs> After he hears the five woes, he says, uh, maybe I've been a little too sharp. Maybe I've been a little too harsh. Maybe I've judged improperly. Uh, we value your mercy. Habakkuk said, God came from 
Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Habakkuk stops looking at the broken world he's living in. And he lifts his attention higher. And he starts thinking about the wonder and the majesty of God. And listen to what he says. Your splendor covers the heaven. The earth is full of your praise. Your brightness is like the light. Rays flash from your hand. And you, when I see you in all this wonder, I still know you're still veiling your power. There is greatness to you that I don't see. Church, I wonder if it would do well for our souls if from time to time we turned our attention off of the broken world we live in and remind ourselves that there is somebody awesome running this whole thing. This whole thing is not out of control. This whole thing is not spinning uh, 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 uncontrollably. There is a wonderful God who is in, who's running it all. Let me remind you of the providence of God. Westminster Confession. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. By his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of his glory, wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. I know that's a lot to hear. But basically, this is what he's saying, that Westminster Confession is, God, in divine providence, is guiding everything according to a plan. No matter what it looks like to you right now, things are not out of control. No matter what it looks like, uh, uh, God understands it all. He knows and sees, and he has a plan to deal with every bit of it. The person who escaped human justice will not escape divine justice. Do you understand that? In a world where we see evil and dictators who seem out of control, their destiny is to be dealt with by the God of providence. I just want to make sure that my life is in line with him. I do not want to be uh, 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 among those who have to be dealt with by the Almighty. And 
Habakkuk has this overwhelming sense of God. And he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who have invaded us. Habakkuk said, God, there's something about you that is terrifying to me. But I believe what you've said. And the people who are going to ruin us, I know you'll hold them accountable. Can you believe that the people who make your life difficult, the people who have an evil agenda, the people who find it easy to mock your sense of the divine, they have a destiny where God will deal with them in his own time and in his own way. And then, the po and then the book ends with this beautiful poem. It always, it always affects me powerfully when I read it. Habakkuk starts by saying, God, I don't think you're doing your job very well. Listen how he ends it. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on my high places. See what happens in this book? It starts out, Habakkuk is looking at the broken world, and he feels overwhelmed by it, and he feels like God is somehow or not doing what he should. And then God answers Habakkuk in the kind of way that Habakkuk sees things differently and he ends the book by saying, I get it. If the fig tree and the vine and the olive and the fields fail, you're still my God. You're still looking out for me. You still care for me. You still know me. You will still supply all my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He said, if everything happens that I don't want to happen and nothing happens that I want to happen, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Dear God, if everything happens that I don't want to happen, you are still the God of my salvation. You are still the Lord, my strength. And I still believe if everything happens the way I don't want it to happen, I still, have, uh, I still believe that you'll make me like a bounding deer on the hillside. I had the blessing this morning when I was coming to prayer 
to drive up Mark's Road, and I saw a herd of deer as they bounced through field. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever seen that? They look happy. They're bounding. They're jumping up into the air. Their big white tail is flagging all over. Uh, they could walk through those fields, but something in their soul has to jump. Something in their innate nature has to jump. And listen to what, listen what Habakkuk's saying. Whatever those deer feel when they're jumping across the field, that's what I feel when I recognize what an awesome God you are. Something in me is lifted. Something in me springs to life. Something in me has new energy, new joy, a new hope. And I believe no matter what happens, you are the God who can make me walk in high places. Church, that is what it means for the just shall live by faith. Do you get it? That is exactly the poetic definition of the just shall live by faith. God is greater than our circumstances. God is greater than the most evil people in the world. God has a plan that whether I can see it or not takes into account everything. And he said, if you will hope in me, you will see justice in the world. Church, if we're going to be the hope of the world, we have to have a Habakkuk experience. We've got to lift our eyes above the broken world that we live in, and we have to say, there is an almighty God, and he is the hope of humanity. If we can see God in his wonder and majesty, we have something to offer a broken world. If we can't see God in his majesty, we're just like everybody else, slogging through an incomprehensible life. Dear Heavenly Father, you are my God. You are the Lord, my strength, and my hope and trust is in you. Please may the message of Habakkuk take root in our souls, and may we see you the way he saw you, and may we be those who live by faith. In Christ's name, amen.